Well, I was about to say maybe we should get started, but I just now got a sneeze stuck in my nose. Oh, no. Sniff some pepper. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Ha! <laughs> Did the pepper work? Gesundheit. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to good-looking people in small, clever rooms that utilize every centimeter of available space with mind-boggling efficiency. I'm Andrew, and I'm here with Brianna. Greetings. And as always, we're joined by my mom, Norma. Hi, everyone. And by our friend, Vinny. Folks, we're two-thirds of the way done with the book. Woo! Oh! Sobering thought. (laughs) (laughs) So we have, like, a little bit of action and a lot of movie summary in this section. Mm -hmm. I found this chunk of reading, again, to be truly exhausting to me. I don't know why. It was so hard for me to get through it. I could only do little bits at a time. There was so much to like think about or or I don't know. Some chunks do that to me. Yeah. Mm. So we mm-hmm. start with Kate Gompert and Ruth Van Cleve uh, heading home from or heading to a meeting. I'm not sure where They're heading home, I think. Heading, they were heading home from a... Yeah. They were heading home. Uh, yeah. And there is... Um, a foreshadowing right away that something bad is going to happen. Yeah, Maybe maybe poor Tony is there and maybe he's got his eyes on their purses. Yeah. Pretty, maybe even more Mm. than maybe. Yeah. I think it was pretty clear that poor Tony was there. So that section ends with uh, eyeing string purses. He imagines contain more than just train fare and NA newcomers keychains. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Ruth Van Cleve, have we met her before? There's She's been fairly some new, mention right? of her. She's new, yeah. She's this new. This is like one of her first days off of house restriction. She's allowed right. out with. She's allowed, uh, but somebody has to be who with they her. Consider, yeah, trustworthy. Like we don't know her from any other part of this book, do we? It says that she abandoned no. her uh, her infant, right? Who had been addicted right. in utero? Who they refer to as it, as opposed right. to he or she. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's also a, a vocabulary word here that I had to look up. Endnote 285. So she meant she says the baby is attached to machines and tapering off the clonidin it received for in utero addictions. Right, which would be wrong, right? That's what the endnote says is that there's no way it's actually clonidin. It has to be a mispronunciation or catachresis. Hmm. So I looked up what catachresis was. It's the misapplication of a word or phrase uh, from the Greek abuse. Hmm. How is that different from a malapropism? Well, so I looked into this more. It's also considered a literary device. And a malapropism is a type of catachresis. So Wikipedia lists a few different categories of catachresis. So, uh, for instance... Crossing categorical boundaries with words because there otherwise would be no suitable word. Uh, so, for instance, the sustainers of a chair being referred to as legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, malapropism or spoonerism, where you replace an expected word with another half-rhyming word with an entirely different meaning from what one would expect. It's like saying, I'm ravished, instead of I've, I'm ravenous or I'm famished. So that's um, more just a, a mistake. A malapropism? Uh, yeah, is yeah. It? Or mm-hmm. is it like a misunderstood I mean, or something? Well, I mean, or, like, like malapropism. Like, it's it's a technique too. It's mal. Right. Miss Malaprop is a character who was written that way on purpose. 
Right, yeah, and we've had plenty of, yeah, malapropisms in this book even. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. The strained use of an already existing word or phrase that just kind of stretches how it might be applied. Um, Or euphemism is a type of catachresis. So like Mm. replacing a word with a more ambiguous synonym. Huh. That's a hard mm. meaning word meaning to wrap my head around, but <laughs> but interesting. What's clonidine used for? Is it seizure medicine? Uh, it says in the end note. Uh, it says it does. It's a decidedly adult strength antihypertensive. So clonopin. Oh, clonopin. Uh, or clonazepam is an anti-seizure, anti-panic. Oh, okay. Uh, so that that might be what Maybe she's talking about. Maybe yeah. that's it. And um, it's also used as an antidepressant, isn't it? Um, or am I that, thinking of something else? That might it's, it may in fact be. Well, it's used to treat anxiety disorders, which are kind of like associated with depression. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this poor infant, another mm-hmm. case of child abuse mm-hmm. in utero. On a brighter note. <laughs> I did enjoy the the description. It mentions uh, how Joel describes Ruth Van Cleve's hair. Oh, yes. It almost like, looked like... like Ruth Van Cleve's hair grew her head instead of the other way around. <laughs> 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 I did like that. And then that led me to wonder, what did they mean when they say that Kate Gompert has a butcher block haircut? You know, there's what did, like a. What, is the, what did they I mean? I feel like I've heard that term before, where it's like I all the hair it is up. just chopped off at one. Like there's no shaping or feathering. Well, that's it's a just blunt like, cut. I tried to look butcher block haircut, and I couldn't really find huh. anything. I expected to yeah. like it was a thing. I think it, I think it really it, like the kind of image random, that I have is like random. Well, no, so like you, or, you you put your hair down on a butcher block and you just chop it all off in one spot. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. Yeah, I could do that. Maybe I'll try. Yeah, it. Shall yeah, I'm I try looking it up right now. And, yeah, all yeah, I'm, I'm seeing finding, is I'm, I'm just finding pictures of butcher block. I know right, that yeah, same here. Me too. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> it also says that Kate Gompert hasn't slept for like four nights. And then there's this weird comment about uh, that Lentz left Ennett House who knows how many days or weeks ago. So she's like lost track of time, sort of. Because this is November 14th, and didn't the parking blow up happen on the 11th? Which That's, was only, would have been just three yeah. days ago. And yeah, she's like, right. who knows how many days mm-hmm. and weeks ago it was that he left. And it has mm-hmm. when it had to have been like three days or two days or something. He got yeah, kicked out the like following that. day. Yeah. I really liked Ruth Van Cleeb describes that the father of her child is uh, awaiting sentencing for operating a pharmaceutical company without a license. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. And Kate, Kate Gompert is really sick of Ruth Van Cleeve. It's like having a. Yeah. Yappy I mean, it's, little it's very much like Randy Lentz and Bruce yeah. Green. Yeah, it is. It's like the female version of it, in mm-hmm. a way. Mm-hmm. And Kate just wants to get home. Mm-hmm. Home being in it house. Get back right. to in right. it house. So then we have this this allusion to poor Tony being there behind them. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And and then we go into this like uh, ETA montage of what everyone's up to. 
Right. So, like, Jim Trelch is feeling sick and he's going to do some color commentary on a re- some... pro wrestling video. <laughs> yeah, pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. And his roommates have all fled the room because they knew what was coming. Right. right. And Pemulus is messing with a ceiling tile somewhere. Yeah. He's up to to something. very mysterious. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you Mm -hmm. think he has... So here's my question. I feel like this goes in two different directions. Either he has a stash of something up in the ceiling, Uh or he's found a way to, like, get from place to place through the ceiling. Right. To places that he shouldn't be. I don't know. Based on the type of ceiling, I don't know that that would be a good ceiling to uh, traverse. Yeah, probably wouldn't be able to support his weight. So I I can only assume that there's... It's also a little weird if you think about it because he's using using a tennis racket, right? To, To lift the ceiling panel and scooch it aside, which means he can't reach it. That's true. So what is he up to? It's... Or is he opening a space that somebody else is going to deposit something in or because I don't know if he's going to get something that he has stashed up there, then he needs something to stand on. And if he needs something to stand on, why wouldn't he just get that when he moves the ceiling panel? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is he up to? And then clever guy. And then uh, the narration reveals to us that Lyle can hover. Yes, mm-hmm. we knew uh-huh. that. Did we know that? Did that yes. come up already? I think we knew. I think I we think knew. so, yeah. I think it was said, but it wasn't maybe, maybe it wasn't clear that they actually truly meant <laughs> literally hovering. Right. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's a reminding us. Well, that's the, that's sort of the moral of his story about do not underestimate objects is there's, there's somebody in the story who can hover. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think maybe you're right that this has been mentioned before, that he well, sometimes when he sits there, he's, he's not quite Hovering sitting, actually. Hovering over the actually. towel dispenser, yeah. And then we get the, the picture of Shtit and Mario slamming down the hill on, mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. Shtit's BMW, which is quite a vivid image mm-hmm. of him leaning into it. Like yeah. an old, old wild man. Yeah, both of them mm-hmm. leaning both into it. Both of them leaning in. Are they getting ice cream? Is that what they're doing? Going they're to going to. Yeah. So I highlighted this too. Yeah, what are they Speaking going? of euphemisms, Evangeline's low temperature confections. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do we assume that's ice cream? I guess. I I yeah. mean what yeah or gelato. I think they or... I think they've even mentioned before it that it's like... ice cream, and yet yeah. it can't just be Evangeline's ice cream. No, but yeah, yeah, it has uh, mentioned before that, um, yeah, Shit and Mario get ice cream together. By the way, this is a verification that when Hal went looking for Shtit in our last reading and uh, Delint told Hal that Shtit was out getting confections and Hal oh. thought, oh, he's probably avoiding me. Uh, Delint was telling the truth. he is out. Yeah. We're sure it's mm-hmm. the same day. It's the 14th. It's the same day. Yeah, because okay. right after... Mm-hmm. Because uh, right after that, Hal goes to the viewing room. Oh, right. And, and he's still in right. there. You know, one of the things I thought about that little vignette there of, of those guys racing down the hill on the BMW is that although it's a fairly weird relationship, this old guy, Shtit, and young guy, Mario, in a way, Shtit treats Mario 
much more as a just typical kid. I, I mean, yeah, he I mean, puts him on this wild ride. He doesn't he doesn't treat him like he's fragile or like he needs extra caretaking. He mm-hmm. gets him on this on this BMW and they go tearing down the hill, which sounds really dangerous for somebody like Mario, mm-hmm. actually. So either he's un, he doesn't care if something happens to Mario, but it seems more like he just takes him along to be part of the yeah, adventure or the fun or I, something. I, I don't know. I can't quite pin down how I feel about this friendship or relationship. It's a little creepy. Or this is There's because, something a little well, creepy about it. Well, because like like the way that Shtit helps Mario get around and but but doesn't stop him from doing things because he's worried they're too dangerous or something feels kind of lovely and 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 yeah. very caring but the way that shtit talks to mario makes it seem like he's just talking to himself and and True. he might be talking to mario the way that everyone talks to mario which is that they assume he doesn't understand what they're saying um mm-hmm. and and the reason they talk to him is because they feel like he can't ever tell anyone else what they say right mario clearly enjoys his company so i think if nothing else that's that's a, a net positive. I guess, him. although Mario doesn't really have people that he hangs out with, it seems, much. Right. Mm-hmm. Except Shtit. Right. Then we have Avril chain smoking and getting ready to call Helen Steeply. Yeah. It seems like a lot of cigarettes to be lit at the same time. It really does. Yeah. I'm worried about her. And then we're into... Then we get to Hal again. Hal and Blood Back- Sister, we're, we're one like, tough but, nun. We're back to Hal because in our previous reading, we saw him watching his dad's old cartridges, right? His movies. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. We learn a lot more about Blood Sister. We do. You know, we find out a lot about Blood Sister. It goes on and on. And I don't know when to say it, but I was confused about Blood Sister because, you know, I like to go Mm. and look at the filmography when these Mm -hmm. films come up within the story. And mm-hmm. so Blood Sister was released in the year of the Tux Medicated Pad, right? Yeah. As was The Night Wears a Sombrero, which is also referenced in this section. Yeah, the Western. And there is another one that's referenced, the Temperature... Low Temperature Civics? Yeah. They were all released in the same year, which seems like huh. a lot. That it does. Like a lot. Yeah. You know, there's there's some mention that this is um, what was the release year for that? Was that once uh, Interlace existed? Oh yeah, yeah. On seven oh three, they talk about how it was one of the commercial successes that maybe wouldn't have done so well uh, if right. it hadn't been for Interlace starting to purchase first run features, which reminds me so much of quarantine releases. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it makes me wonder whether they were like they'd already been produced and were just sitting in the can and couldn't find distribution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so maybe they had accumulated over the years and then Interlace came in and and bought them up for home release. Maybe. That was my read on it. Hal just wants to be alone, but other people keep coming into the room. <laughs> uh starting mm-hmm. first the with the problem at being at school and living in a dorm. Right. So starting first with Bridget Boone and Francis Unwin, who I don't think uh, we've maybe heard their names before, but I don't think we've ever met them before. Um, also, Bernadette Longley and Jeannie they, Bush. They come in later. Yeah. No, they were first. Um, 
I think. No, para- the first paragraph, Bridget Boone and Francis L. Onwin have come in uninvited oh, and okay. joined Hal in VR6. Okay. But yeah, more people keep trailing in. So Hal's talking about how Bridget is eating TCBY frozen chocolate yogurt. Um, uh-huh. And she has a habit of turning the spoon over on the way to her mouth. So yes. it always, the yogurt gets to her tongue directly without the mediation of the cold spoon. Uh-huh. And for some reason, this is always really annoyed Hal. And he's just, he's trying to repel them by being gross and spitting tobacco, but they're not, they're mm. not, uh, they're not getting chased off. Oh, yeah. also a uh, TCBY. The end note, I think, says it's the continent's best yogurt. And then I looked up TCBY because I think, I assumed then that it was uh, the country's best yogurt is what it has stood for. But that wasn't how it started out. It was, this can't be yogurt. This yes, can't be I remember that. Original. I forgot for which like the direction they years. went in. Yeah, yeah. that's how yeah, it because, started. Because, because there frozen, hadn't been yogurt frozen yogurt wasn't a, yeah. Right, this can't be yogurt. Yeah. And okay. then they had to change the name from that because there was somebody there was a company that was called I can't believe it's yogurt sued them uh because oh. they said it was too close to the same name and that's, that's when they changed reason. it to the country's best yogurt well also couldn't they then be sued by I can't believe it's not butter it just seems like just a uh an unending well, chain probably, of lawsuits they probably I assume that they went out guess, of business cuz I don't know mm. that there's anything like I can't believe it's yogurt but I can't believe it's not butter would have come out later than this cuz mm. this was in the early 80s do you remember mm. a few years ago there was a um a cupcake controversy in Fort Collins related to uh two different cupcake shops who had very similar names and they sued each other and one went out of business am i making that up oh. it sounds i i don't exactly <laughs> remember it but it sounds it sounds like something that like would happen in Fort Collins yeah it does yeah <laughs> yeah i liked the description of girls coming in to watch the cassettes Versus the boys coming in, and they mm-hmm. talk about how when girls come into their the space into a space where they're going to hang out, it says they literally embody the idea of make yourself at home. They kick their shoes off and they get comfortable. Boys come in, males they say come in and and project an air of transience. They remain suited up and mobile. They keep their shoes on. So, like, they could escape quickly if they needed to. And I just wondered if you people think that's true in your experience. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. It's definitely it's definitely reflected in the meeting that we see later mm. with Joel. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it is. But in your own yeah. personal experience. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm pretty eager to not be wearing shoes indoors. But if you go into someone else's space, like if you went into the viewing room where Hal is. Then I would be wearing shoes. Yeah, probably. Yeah. You wouldn't I don't think it would be off. out of like a readiness to leave, but more out of um, like a gesture to the, the fact that I didn't feel like it was a space that belonged to me. Yeah. You know? So do you and think well, girls think that the space will be- assume the space belongs to them? <laughs> Just wondering. I, I think that that's I, I think that's what uh the narration is suggesting. I'm not sure I yeah. believe that the narration is right about that, that 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 this is a true phenomenon. 
Yeah, um, for me, or that it's a true I'm, phenomenon anywhere outside of ETA. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I pretty much always wear shoes because of conditioning from my work in technical theater, where basically you oh. wear shoes all the time because otherwise you're going to step on a screw or something. So even right. when I'm just walking around the house, I'm terrified. Oh, no, I'm going to step on a nail that's somehow <laughs> going to appear on the floor. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about it from the perspective of um, college campus spaces. Right, right. What mm-hmm. do you think from your... Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I know that me as a college student, I definitely, when I was going to camp out in the library in a study room, I would take my shoes off. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, me too. Oh, me and, too. Absolutely. <laughs> and I often wear slippers even just around the building because I expect that if I'm going to sit down usually it's pretzel style and usually I take off my shoes Hmm. yes it's Hmm. it's one of the reasons that I really like having slip-on shoes yeah because I like to be able to slip them off quickly (laughs) so Hmm. I'm not I can't totally discount Hal's observation here not that it would be universally true But also in my office. In my office, Mm. I'm usually shoeless because, Uh well, sometimes it's because I'm wearing heels and I don't sit like a a normal adult in office chairs. Um, But sometimes it's because I was wearing snow boots and I take them off anyway to switch into Mm. flats. Um, Mm. But it's just so much comfier to be shoeless in one's office. It is. (laughs) But I don't know if that's specifically because I'm a woman. Yeah, I don't know. I don't yeah. know either. But something about know, it rang true to me. I don't know. Yeah, I also wear shoes because I'm just worried about, you know, my feet smelling. Mm. Mm. I'm alone in my office or in the study room in the library. So yeah. it's just me. It's funny. Mm-hmm. It's just funny, funny to think about. Like yeah. I'm sitting here and I, I took my shoes off sitting here at the computer without even thinking about it. I just always hmm. do it. If I can. You were wearing shoes prior to well, I this? Sli- I had slippers, but I took oh. them off. <laughs> They're under the table and my feet aren't in them. So. Andrew, are you wearing shoes? No. Vinny, I'm are, wearing are you wearing slippers? Hmm. Yeah, Rihanna that's is the other question. Rihanna is I wearing am wearing hats. hats. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I... They shifted, so now it's a disaster. No. <laughs> but do we count slippers as shoes? See, I don't know. Yes. If you can go outside with them, I would say yes. Okay. But if they're only inside slippers, they're, they're I would say in no. Between, but I think in, this, in, in the jest uh, section that we read. I think if those girls came into the room wearing slippers, they would kick them off too. That's yeah, yeah, mm, that's fair. They yeah. would still kick mm-hmm. them off. Uh, there's a description of uh, Fran Unwin as a sort of Hanuman-faced girl with a torso yes, oh, and trunk about twice up. as long as her legs. Hanuman so is Hanuman, a Hindu god, right? A Hindu, the Hindu monkey god of wisdom, right. strength, courage, devotion, and self-discipline, uh, and one of the mm. central characters of the Ramayana. Here's a picture of him carrying a mountain. Oh, yeah. I wish I could carry a mountain like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was trying to remember. There's he somebody, is wearing shoes. One of these girls. Oh, he is. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> 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 one of these girls that came into the room with Hal 
which one is it that uh, he keeps he keeps being impressed on about her? I take think that's on Boone. The, oh, that's okay. I couldn't remember which one it was. Yes, it's funny because she's also the one who's kind of most antagonizing him. Right. She's the yogurt girl. Is that right? Yes. No, she's yeah. the yogurt yeah. girl. Yeah. Well, friends, let's think about teenagers and how they interact mm. with people they have crushes on. This is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He continues through this whole thing to be surprised about the, the her takes on the, the movies mm-hmm. and what's happening in them and kind of analyzing mm-hmm. them. Like maybe you've mm-hmm. underestimated her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's also, she makes an illusion that I wondered if we knew about this yet or not. She says, plus I hear your friend, your best friend in the whole world did something really funny today. Or sorry, that's Longley says that. Right. She means Pemulus. She means Pemulus. Right. Yeah. Do we know, know. do we know what he did? Or have we yet to find that out? I have no idea. Yeah, uh, I did wonder about that. It, it, got following... left, it left that hanging. We know a lot about what's going on at ETA this day. This is the day of the that Hal plays the darkness, and Helen's there over dinner, and mm-hmm. so there's there's so stuff going the on, but we don't we day? don't know we don't really know what Pemulus has been up to so far. Yeah, I don't think. Uh, this is also the day where they unravel the Great Milk Conspiracy, right? Yeah, right. This this is yeah they, that's right. Yeah, yeah, this is when yeah. And and the uh, when the the young kids are in the tunnels and they find the disgusting. Oh right! Fringe. Oh right! right. Yeah, that's right, all right. the fourteenth. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on. Yeah, so Pemulus wasn't with the young kids, though. No, he um, been. Yeah. I think all we've seen of him is just fiddling with the ceiling tile. Was he in the dining yeah. room scenes? He, I don't think he was I in don't the dining think room. Think so? Scenes. Oh, I thought he was in the uh, evening dining room scene. Like, I, I thought he was included in the discussion when they were talking about, you know, the, the milk, milk and whether it was powdered milk or not. I hmm. think that's also the scene where they're talking about how everybody eats. And yeah. I feel like right. it would probably have been important to know how Pemulus eats. Pemulus eats, yeah. But I, I don't remember exactly. I don't remember if he was there either. Yeah. Considering they only not, get fed. Where did when when was that mentioned that his best friend had done something really funny? That's at the bottom of seven oh two. I'm just skimming Pemulus. this section with the the uh, dinner scene, and I'm not seeing Pemulus in here anywhere. Hmm. Weird. Or wait, no, there is. Yes, he is in here. Okay. Uh, Pemulus shakes his head very seriously at Trelch. Not a chance, brother. About and the then milk. there's the. About the milk, yeah. So Pemulus then, doesn't think the milk is powdered milk. That so fool. then, so he was there for the <laughs> for dinner, but when they mention the Pemulus thing, uh, it says like sounds like too good a story not to save and let my craving for it build and build and finally it's like I have to hear it or die right on the spot. Right. So they're baiting him. They are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They are, but he won't ask them for it. So he, he basically right. said, I'd, I'll just wait because, you know. Yeah. Well, either they're going to break because they want to tell it so right. badly right. or Pemulus right. is going to say something anyway. So right. he's going to find out eventually. Mm-hmm. I feel like it couldn't be the the shenanigans with Avril and John Wayne. No, there's no way that's public knowledge. 
because yeah. blackmail. Yeah. Uh, what else has he done? And when Unless was that? Unless people Do saw we... him costumed. When mm. did they have the CT and Avril's office stuff going on? What? When was that? Date wise, do you remember? Was that the like 11th? I'm losing track of. I think that was the eleventh. Okay. Yeah. So that's been a while. But also, wouldn't Hal have known about that? Because wasn't he there? Well, that's one of the things we don't we don't know what was actually said in CT's office. I know, but if we do know that Pemula said something. Yeah, and and, and Hal when, was there for that scene. When Pemulus went into her office, though, when John Wayne was in there, was that the day before? That was the night before. The night yeah. before. We did have some speculation about whether Pemulus told Hal about what he had seen oh, in right. advance of the there meeting. Right. There's that, that, that silent moment with John Wayne. Right. Where, like, John Wayne right. just pokes his head into Hal's room. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a little unclear what mm-hmm. w- what's happening between the two of them in that moment. Right. Mm-hmm. Poor Hal. There's there's the poor yeah. Hal moment. I mean, there's always poor Hal moments, but there's the comment about as these girls are coming in and sort of taking over his space. Uh, and he says something like, what is it? When Hal comes into a room somewhere others have already gathered, he's aware that he's somehow there only in a very technical sense. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Hal. Mm-hmm. Um, on 704, talking about how himself gets seduced by commercial formulae. Mm, right. There's yeah. a moment right, right. talking about violent payback, and then there's also a brief mention of the knight wears a sombrero and an ambivalent but finally avenging son, both of which I think you can agree. Hamlet. <gasps> Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Thank you for mentioning that because I it totally uh, went over my head. That, oh, my <laughs> that friend, that I am here for you and for it. Mm-hmm. I want to bring the thunderstorms to your life. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was a really intriguing discussion of like metacinema as parodic critique of Hollywood. And Hal, Hal says he thinks that James O. made movies like this when making more intellectually complex art films was like too much and he couldn't handle it. He would do right, something. Right, when he was in like a dark space or something, didn't he say when he was. Right. And, and, and he goes on to say he's not comfortable with the way himself always seemed to get seduced by the very commercial formula he was trying to invert. That like he starts out wanting to make fun of these simplistic plot devices and roughly drawn characters but winds up just really liking the bloodbath at the end of the movie that creates this sort of false sense of catharsis Mm -hmm. and that maybe he's not as much of a parodist as he pretends to be right that like he gives in in the end of the film and uses the standard and kind of ending the violent ending right yeah it sounds to me like the rumination on sincerity and yeah. uh, mm-hmm. if you find a joke actually funny, you're looked at weird and that with Mario. Mm-hmm. And I think that tracks because Hal feels embarrassed when Mario honestly finds something funny. I mean, it's it's a tricky like I was also thinking about this in the context of the war on irony. Um, mm-hmm. And it's funny because 
you can say that satirizing Hollywood cliches is a form of irony, but the Hollywood cliches aren't true either. It's like a lie making fun of another lie, and neither of them necessarily points at anything true. Well, that's mm. a good point. There's even there's I... like there's a mention of the cringily facile. It's the the thing about like uh, equating. Um, a disfigured face with a damaged personality. With a damaged soul. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, the symbolic that. equation of facial with moral deformity. Right. Um, like that's a thing that Hollywood movies do all the time, and it's not. It it's it's purely out of uh, laziness. Yeah, really, sim- <laughs> a, a, a desire to be as simplistic and lazy as possible. Or and assuming so, know, that like their in- audience is simplistic and lazy, and so they need to do right. it for their audience. Right. And right, so it's a shortcut. Like, we we yeah. can either say that Blood Sister is parodying that by by doing it or that it's just doing it, you know? And and I think sometimes that that distinction is um it's a it's a tough distinction to make and and sometimes it feels sort of meaningless <laughs> to make that distinction. Mm-hmm. Well, for me when something is very clearly parodying something else it's also it's critiquing and examining the the flaws of the thing that's parodying Mm -hmm. otherwise it is you're right just doing the thing right and so do we think that blood sister really is a parody i mean why do people think it is a parody maybe because they expect james to be intellectual the yeah the critical response is that it's parody is that just because it's different than a lot of other films that james o made that it's mm-hmm. that it's more like He's, standard the narration formula? says cognoscenti taken in were uh want to call them sub slash inversions of the genre is that because the critics think of james o as being much more of an experimental kind of out there filmmaker and so when he makes something Probably. with a more with a more standard typical kind of storyline that they assume that it must be a parody because that's not the kind of movie he makes i think that's probably true yeah Mm -hmm. which is like i don't know it it reminds me of you know how like in the nba there are certain players that get to commit fouls and not get called on them because they're just really good basketball players It strikes yeah. me a little like that, hmm. that they're they're giving him credit for something that maybe he doesn't deserve credit for. Or at least that seems to be Hal's perspective, is that other people are taken in by this idea that they're parodies. Um, and may, maybe even James O. thought they were, but they're not successful in criticizing the thing that they parody. But also... How much of the distinction of parody determines on reader or viewer interpretation and how much of it is determined Mm. by the maker? Mm. Yeah, that's fair. Because I think that you're right that Hal absolutely, his interpretation is not parody and critics are saying parody and James O thinks whatever, but which opinion necessarily matters more? Right. Or is there an opinion that matters more? I I was thinking about this, though, that like by the the parameters of this conversation, like you could call a Michael Bay movie a parody of Hollywood, you know, 
just just because it made a gazillion dollars and and was successful in the narrow definitions that Hollywood sets for the success or failure of a movie doesn't mean that it can't also be a parrot like that that Transformers can't also be a parody of action movies. Mm, yeah, let's follow that through. Um, like it, it seems a little bit like hmm. trying to have it both ways to, to say that something is like enthusiastically participating in the cliches of the genre while also being a parody of the genre. Like, I, I think at a certain right. point, the movie has to d- do some like, conceptual work. Well, okay, mm. so maybe maybe we can all agree, I don't know if we can, uh, that Cabin in the Woods, Joss Whedon, is a parody of yes. the horror genre. Mm-hmm. But why is that a parody? And I don't know that I agree that I could read Michael Bay's Transformers as parody. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Like, where is the line where it becomes parody? I mean, I think so often when we think of parody, we think of something that, like, pretends to be another more popular thing, but adds jokes. Um, yeah, which like I think scary is, movie. Scary movie. But even, like, Cabin in the Woods is, like... <laughs> yeah. It's the the whole the the high concept behind it is a joke about genre film, but I I don't I think there are other ways to parody things like right I, like like Blood Sister is not funny. No, and so the the I way think that it might I be think unintentionally of, funny. Well, maybe, yes, <laughs> I guess maybe yeah maybe. <laughs> I'm just imagining a nun tearing off yeah. her sleeves, and that's hilarious to well, me. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's very good. Anyway, that's go true. on. Uh, okay. but, but just to defend my definition of of Michael Bay as like a a, a parody filmmaker, his aesthetic uh, and mm-hmm. and his his uh, storytelling mode is like taking the conventions of movies that have gone before him and turning up the volume on everything that they do, you know, like uh, quick cut car chases, the cuts should be quicker. And anytime the camera is a little wobbly and handheld, make it real, make it really shaky. And, uh, you know, like this character is kind of thin and not very well defined, make them just an absolute cardboard cutout. And I don't know that he's doing it. Like, I think that if you're looking at the authorial intent of a of a Michael Bay movie. I don't think he's doing it to make fun of other movies. Um, well, right. I don't think that we're saying that parody makes fun of other movies. I think we're saying that parody critically engages with the thing that it's parodying. Otherwise, right. it is just a Michael Bay movie. Well, I don't know. I mean, the more <laughs> I talk about this, the more I think that there's like there's a a a critical paper to be written in like reading Michael Bay movies as parodies of the action genre because but somebody is it like that and, 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 and he's not the only engaging one. with the genre. Well, but as you said, like at a certain point, authorial intent isn't the isn't the thing that matters. It's like That's what fair. can you read into them? And and Michael <laughs> Bay and and other action movie like John Woo movies do this a lot too, where they're like they they take these established forms and they're like. Well, but why not do that even more, which is how you get like a movie like Face Off and like doves flying in slow motion in the background of these action set pieces and things. They're they're like leaning into not intentional goofiness, but like leaning into the established extremities of the genre. Well, and so, I guess so that's... This, the one tough nun, now that I, I said that it, it wasn't funny, but then I thought of 
Vinny's often mentioning Ooh, that yes. some things are like slapstick. And so the right, story yeah. itself is horrific. But then if you try to picture it in movie form with, mm -hmm. as you say, the nuns ripping off their sleeves or they've got the some of their convent's precious items that, that they grab and use as weapons. And if you were just watching it, that it would be very almost slapstick adventure type action movie. Somehow. Yeah, like mm -hmm. Indiana Jones. Yeah. 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 But with nuns. But with nuns. Actually, this also reminds me of, I mean, it's perhaps a different genre, but when we saw The Little Hours, mm, um, yeah. I, I kept thinking about Blood Sister. <laughs> Not yes. because it's actually related, but I guess because those nuns may be the uh, predecessors to uh, yeah. the, the blood nuns, the tough nuns. Yeah, nuns with axes. <laughs> exactly. I have fun facts. Ooh. Ooh. So there's the sunlit montage climax shot under a novitiate's wimples, gall wings, all accompanied by no kidding, getting to know you, which Hal imagines the stork justified to himself, subversively saccharine, getting mm -hmm. to know you being a song from Rogers and Hammerstein's The King and I. Um, mm. Fun fact, the song is one of the cases during the Rogers and Hammerstein partnership when Rogers reused a melody he had written for a earlier show and then discarded. In this case, it was a tune wrote for South Pacific. Oh. Hmm. Huh. But was ultimately replaced. And then, sort of the middle of the page there, they're talking about low-temperature civics, an executive suite soap opera filled with power plays, position jockeyings, timid adulteries, martinis, and malignantly pretty female executives in elegant, tight-fitting dress for success wear. And I took the liberty of looking up 1980s movies set in offices. Ooh. <laughs> oh, good. For our knowledge. Uh -huh. um, so we've got Nine to Five mm -hmm. with our revenge-seeking secretary trio. Such a good movie. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh -huh. um, Wall Street, which I know... Uh -huh. Close to nothing about. It's not good. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Working girl oh. um, with Melanie Griffiths, uh, Sigourney Weaver, and Harrison Ford. Mm -hmm. And also on this list came up, and it's not it's not a workplace drama, but I thought you should know. Uh, Die Hard does take place in an office building. That's true. That's oh, very yeah, true. Yeah, it does. That Lots of true. suits. Mm -hmm. But very interesting in that 9 to 5 was made in 1980, and then Wall Street 1987, Die Hard 88, and Working Girl 89. Um, mm. And when I was looking at workplace dramas just writ large, it went from The Apartment, made in 1960, to, shoot, another movie that I can't remember in 76, so there's a whole 16-year gap, no <laughs> workplace dramas. And then we're looking at the 80s. Fascinating. Phases. Yeah. Hmm. That mo The low-temperature civics. I mean, in this section, we have learned more about, like, what, ja what was going on with James O. when he made some of these films, like The, the mm -hmm. Blood Sister. Um, there's an end note. 
uh, EndNote 289 that says that in point of fact wholly unknown to Hal, OTN, which must mean one tough nun, right, was in yeah. fact mm -hmm. a very sad self-hate festival on himself's part, veiled an allegory of sponsorship and himself's own miserable right. distaste well, for the... Mm -hmm. uh, a A. So they talk about like the way the story is told is that you have these like people saving other people in this right. line of succession that, right. that feels a lot like sponsor like AA sponsorship. Right. Um mm -hmm. and and then over the in the course of the film you have one sponsoree learning that the person who sponsored them isn't as uh isn't as much of a success story as they claim to be. Right. Um, right, yeah. And and that ultimately causes her to kind of forsake the whole system and, and right. go out into the world at the end. Right. Which I could see being the way that James O. thought about or felt about his AA experience. Mm. Yeah. Like it, it seems right. like a way yeah. to sort of rationalize his reasons for leaving. Right. Mm -hmm. It's really sad, though. Yeah, it is. It's that, like, the folly of thinking that you can truly rescue someone Right, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how tangled the the rescuer and the rescuee become with each other. Uh, it said some substance dependent persons, though, have already been so broken by the time they first come in that they don't care about stuff like substitution or banality. Mm -hmm. They'll give their they'll they'll give their left nut to trade their original dependence in for robotic platitudes and pep rally cheer. They're the mm -hmm. ones with gun to their heads, the ones who stick and hang. Uh, mm -hmm. I was just thinking about some vague wonderings about implications for people who get sucked into conspiracy theories or mm. cults yeah. or anything. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it seems very People similar. are really looking for that, something that's easy for them to like wrap their head around whether it makes sense or not uh, but mm -hmm. it's it it has a strong storyline or it has the platitudes the things that you say yeah i agree that there feels like some some similarity or some overlap there like there's a lot of power in the approach obviously i know people for instance who have who would say that aa has saved their lives right mm -hmm. and they they really mean it and they've been able to be substance free for many 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 years so you know that there is power in the approach and and that it can be really transformative for some people but there's so much potential for abuse and yeah. negative results and and so much depends yeah. on the motivation of the organization or the or the well, individual the that's that's making it available to others Mm -hmm. uh, I remember bringing up, uh, I think it was a, an Atlantic article about AA a couple weeks into the podcast. And this one of the criticisms of it is that uh, the way it's set up, by definition, if the program doesn't work for you, that means it was your fault, which can, for, for some people, can wind up being more harmful than never having been involved in it in the first place. Right. I, I feel like my... I, I you can tell that I struggled with this whole chunk of reading because my comments about it jumped back and forth all over the place. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> like uh, I just realized that somewhere in here we we passed the part where Bridget Boone equates the Catholic religious experience as similar to 
uh, substance addiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's there's mm-hmm. that interesting comment. Well, and, and that talking could about be... how how uh, blood sister literally trades one habit for another. Right. <laughs> literally. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. <Sorry>. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So there's that conversation. There's also the piece that we learn about when he's, they're talking about low temperature civics somewhere mm-hmm. in there. It says Hal knows that it was actually came from the before standardized 80s period when himself got these huge royalty checks from his annular fusion work. And he went from government work to private, his private entrepreneurship and that he got mm-hmm. depressed because of that anhedonic effect that I've reached my goals yeah. and now what? Uh, and that he took a year off to drink and watch TV shows like yeah. like Dynasty mm-hmm. in a remote spa off Canada's northwest coast where he met Lyle. Yeah. Sweet. Mm-hmm. So he took mm-hmm. a year off to go drinking. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like James O. It does. Less sweet. I've also wondered, what is Hal's reason for watching all of his dad's films? Is it that he thinks that if he can figure them out, that he'll understand his father better? Or, I don't know, why does he watch? I think that in this circumstance, it's kind of self-soothing. Or or not even self-soothing, but it's like a way to sort of empty his head and, and not think about tennis. But why not watch some marijuana. popular movie that's more entertaining than and well, less that weird? Seem very, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but that doesn't seem very Hal. I don't. I don't think that Hal could enjoy a popular movie. And like, I, I assume that one of the reasons why these movies are comforting to him right now is because they're so familiar, and he could probably. Yes. He probably could go through them shot by shot with his eyes closed. But that's weird too. Why has Hal watched it's familiar. these like, movies it's, it's so like the, much that he knows them so well? I mean, well. that's that's fair. Like, certainly Oren doesn't seem to... Like, Oren seems to have seen his father's films, but not to be, like, as intimately aware of right. the whole, his whole catalog. Right. I so, think it's... Yeah, that's true. I think it's not typical. I think that as a kid, you would be curious about, you know, what kind of movies was your father making. But to watch, like... I don't know. There's something weird about it that he's so focused on watching them. It seems like more mm-hmm. than familiarity. Like if you watch Rescuers Down Under 500 times, then I think it's for familiarity. But if you watch these really, well, a I lot mean, of them are fairly troubling movies. Like people I love watching that kung, that violent kung fu movies and stuff. Like that's, like right. there, there are so many people who relax by watching extremely gory horror films. But, and, and But it's as if he and, thinks. And might watch the same ones over and over again. I do think that it's different because his father made them. And I, I do think that there's probably some puzzling going on there. Like he's trying to sort of understand who his father was. But. I don't think that's his conscious goal right now. Yeah, I don't I I I don't know. I think it's that he it seems like those are the only movies he watches. Movies that his father has made. Yeah. Mm. And maybe part of it is the culture of ETA. I mean, they're stopped yeah, in the viewing rooms. They're stopped here. in the viewing rooms. All these kids that have piled into this room are watching. In fact, at one point, he's the only person in the room that's not 100% absorbed in watching the mm-hmm. movie. 
like the girls and the younger kid, the younger boys that come in are like totally, they get totally sucked in. I suspect that for the other students, there's a sort of like fascination with the myth of James O. Uh huh. Um, that like, did you know that the founder of this school, he's dead now, but before he founded the school, he made these weird movies and we can all uh-huh. pile into this room and watch them. He also zapped his head with a microwave. He right. did indeed. Which I guess would make them want to watch <laughs> his movies. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Going back just a second, there's a brief mention of how editing works. For cartridges, Hal tries to imagine the tall, slump, tremendous stork shape of himself inclined at an osteoporotic angle over digital editing equipment for hours on end, deleting and inserting code. Yeah, what does he mean by code? So the way that digital editing first existed um, before like Adobe Premiere and Avid was that you could write, you, you could digitize all your video or you wouldn't even digitize your video you'd have a time code burned into your video and you can you could write this thing called an edit decision list that was just a big text document with a list of time code where you would say when you cut and what you cut to so i think he's talking about james o just just watching time code and punching numbers into a computer uh which is a really uh really bleak and uninspiring way to edit i would imagine when did digital editing become a thing or like a well an easier let me tell you (laughs) i i don't i don't know exactly the time i don't know the dates but i can tell you the progression um it involves star wars um George Lucas and Lucasfilm developed a LaserDisc-based digital editing system called EditDroid in the early 80s, I think. The disadvantage of it was was that you had to have all your footage converted to LaserDisc before you could edit it. Wow. Um, That's a lot of LaserDisc. Yeah, a lot of uh, and so so it never really caught on. But you'd have like multiple laser discs spinning at the same time, and you'd have it computer controlled to like seek different time codes and play out non-linearly, which is really interesting. Um, and also around that time, you had this thing called linear editing, which is kind of sort of digital editing. It still used tapes, but you would like you'd have a digitized work print that you could then punch in time code and assemble a tape, and then you'd send it out and have the negative cut afterwards it wasn't until like the um the late 90s when well i guess in the the early to mid 90s avid started being a thing that was used for tv production when you shot Uh on video and you could edit the video digitally but hard drives and processing speeds weren't really fast enough to do to do it to the quality that was necessary to do it in um for film until like the late 90s or the early 2000s, you got Final Cut Pro and Adobe Premiere Pro and some other like Sony Vegas and stuff came out around that time that were able to handle high definition video and full resolution scans of film and that kind of thing. So it's still like it's it feels it feels like a long time ago. And I guess it's starting to be a long time ago. That's like 20 not years really, in the past though. now. That's but not, it's, yeah, it's, it's still it's a method a long, that's in its in- infancy. When you consider that like film editing up until that point, the methods were largely unchanged for 100 years. Cut and splice. Cut and splice. Uh, splice together your negatives and strike a print from that. The machines changed a little bit, but that was, you know, that was basically scissors and tape. It. Yeah. yeah, real cut and paste. Right. Well, I have another question for you young folks. There's a mention mm-hmm. of with low temperature civics when Hal is talking about or, or they mention that 
that was a dark period for James O. where he went off to drink for a year and watch TV like Dynasty. I just wondered mm. if you know Dynasty, you young people. Yeah. Okay. I know the title sequence. I don't know anything else about it. It was like a prime Yeah, I know that it was uh, one of the big uh, soap operas, yeah, but that's prime, about it. But, but prime time. Prime time mm-hmm. soap opera. Is that where Who Shot Rich JR people. originated? No, that's from no, Dallas. That's Dallas. Oh, that's Dallas. But they, Dallas. Were, they yeah. were cut out of the same cloth. Mm. They, were, they were very similar. It's rich people problems, right? That's kind of the, the uh-huh. basic idea. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, recently Dynasty has been uh, rebooted on the CW. Oh. Oh. Huh. It must be really funny to watch it now. It must look so dated. I don't know. <laughs> no. It also brings up this whole thing of those shows were some of the most talked about shows on TV, probably. Those were mm-hmm. the, we've talked about, you know, when, when we depended on broadcast TV and the new episode came out. Like, oh, it's the new episode will be out on Wednesday night, and everyone watched it, and when you'd go to work the next day, then people would talk about it. Although mm-hmm. I never watched Dallas and Dynasty, so mm-hmm. I was out of the loop. But And I felt out of the loop uh, because mm-hmm. of it. But that joint attention was really something, and really powerful, really, I think. It was like people yeah. were all living through Dynasty. <laughs> you know, we it's like the characters were somehow family, or you knew them, and everyone knew them, and everyone talked about them. <laughs> I was trying And there's to something really like, bonding about that. Of, like, when that ended. I feel like I was old enough to remember when that ended. But I, I don't know yeah. if I can pinpoint exactly. Like like the final episode of Seinfeld, I remember being like that. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Lost, like maybe the first couple seasons uh-huh. of Lost were kind yeah, of... Yeah, that's true. Kind of must, yeah. must-see TV uh-huh. in that way. Uh-huh. Um, it was a really big deal when The Simpsons killed off Maude Flanders. I, mm-hmm. I, that, that, I remember that being a like, are you going to tune in this week? But then... Yeah, that seems to have kind of been the, the point at which I guess it's streaming services and, and binge watching as, as a method of watching TV kind of overtook the calendar of, it of makes TV me, releases. It makes well, Game me, of Thrones. I think Game of Thrones yeah, kind of yeah. Game of Thrones, yeah, was that. the big like um, rehash of like must-see TV and everything. Right. But it had already kind of died by the time Game of Thrones came in. But yeah, Game of Thrones was huge. And I think that's because... Game of Thrones wasn't necessarily something you could stream or anything. It was something you had to watch on HBO. Yeah, and even when it did become a streaming thing, like they still released it on a schedule. And because it already had such a big fan following, you had to like watch it on the day it came out in, in order to be able to talk right. about it. Right, yeah. It makes me understand the, was it Oren who said that when he was asked what he misses, and he misses broadcast TV for a variety of mm-hmm. reasons. But I think that is something lost. It ha- did have the potential to, like, really bring people together, like, to yeah. give mm-hmm. everybody something to talk about, that anyone mm-hmm. could participate, anybody. It didn't matter who you were. If you watched the show on TV, you could participate completely in the conversation about what had happened, you know? And I think it feels like now in our really divided country where we have the, all these different factions of people who seem to not be able to communicate at all with each other or whose point of views are so hard to understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. kind of that loss of a, of a joint attention point and that there is something a little sad about losing that. It's also a shared language. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
One of the things that I found really helpful about my previous employer was that everybody on staff took this one personality test. And so everybody knew what everybody else's personality was and people were into it enough that it was an easy shortcut for talking about professional development and communication styles and stuff like that. And being able to say, oh, you're such a Carrie from Sex and the City (laughs) is a shortcut Mm -hmm. for, oh, you're this type of person. And you'd relate it to a character in a familiar, right. I don't know any characters from Seinfeld or Lost or Game of Thrones, so I can't mm-hmm. I can't draw mm-hmm. that. I guess Jon Snow is a character. Yep, Jon Snow is a big character from Game of Thrones. Would somebody want to be a Jon Snow? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Jon Snow was kind of the hero type, so yeah. Okay. But do lots of bad things happen to him? Uh, sort of, yeah. I don't know if I want to be John <laughs> Listen, in that, I didn't watch it, but I read the first book because my sister insisted that I would like it. And let me just say mm. that any character in Game of Thrones, lots of bad things happen to them. So, yeah. So he's as good a choice as any if you're going to be one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Better than some. <laughs> Oh, I wish I could give the personality test to these characters in Infinite Jest, by the way. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's a... I'm going to have to look this up. I'm sure there's like a BuzzFeed quiz about which Infinite Jest character are you. Oh my gosh, oh, I'm on yeah. it. You keep talking. Oof. Okay, okay. All right. Okay, good. Uh, I've, got, I've, got, oh, a, I've got another vocabulary word. Um, okay. Well, so two. One is uh, Novena, I think. N-O-V-E-N-A. Endless novenas later, Blood Sister eventually feels this transitive spiritual urge, da-da-da. So a novena Mm. is a Roman Catholic form of worship consisting of special prayers or services on nine separate days. So endless Mm. novenas Mm -hmm. would be like endless days times nine. Really long time. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. So then also getting into the Cocaine Anonymous meeting that Joelle is at. Uh, She Mm -hmm. describes the the people in the the back row that she sits next to as being catexic newcomers. Oh, Um, right. Catexic is not a word. Uh, Cathexis is the investment of mental or emotional energy in a person, object, or idea. Um, And cachexia is a syndrome associated with an underlying illness causing muscle loss that's not entirely reversed with nutritional supplementation. So just like becoming kind of wasting that's um, associated with like cancer and AIDS and chronic kidney disease and stuff. So that's probably more likely what's, what's being said here. But I do think it's kind of amusing that the word that's used here is not actually a real word. Mm-hmm. We also learn that Don Gately's in bad shape. Don Gately is in lying in the trauma wing in a truly bad way and he keeps uh keeps turning down demerol offered by well-meaning but clueless doctors right Mm -hmm. Um, because we know that was one of his greatest fears of landing in the hospital doesn't he have something some procedure he's supposed to have done or something that he's been avoiding because he doesn't want to get that he's afraid that they'll give him pain meds joel seems worried about it too that like maybe maybe they'll give it to him sometime when he's not able to say no Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. he's unconscious isn't he i thought that they were giving him demerol 
actually? Um, uh, he says offered Demerol by well-meaning but clueless MDs. Oh. In and out of delirium, torn, oh. confused. Okay. Um, there's, uh, ultimately, though, there's, like, a kind of, this is a, a sort of weirdly affirming little section of the book that she's listening to this story, this very sad story told right. by this guy who who blows his paycheck that they need to pay rent and buy groceries right. on cocaine. Right. But she's really identifying with it. Um, right. The speaker's face has lost its color, shape, everything distinctive. And it says it's the first time she's felt sure she wants to keep straight no matter what it means facing. Right. No matter if Don mm-hmm. Gately takes Demerol or goes to jail or rejects her or if she can't show him the face. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is like, Which you know, is also- it, it even, it's, it's like a hopeful sign. Even at the beginning of this section with Joel, it says that like, it's talking about how people who are truly shattered are willing to accept the platitudes of AA because they're desperate. Um, and it remains to be seen whether she's desperate enough to accept those platitudes and, and stick with the recovery program. Right. Uh, one thing about this narrative at the CA meeting, the guy who's telling his story, and I think the end note explains that it's a narrative style of black Bostonites um, mm-hmm. to talk to an anonymous person. And he keeps referring Jim. to Jim and James, yes. mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. Yeah. it's almost in a way like Joel is directing it at mm-hmm. James O, isn't it? A lot mm-hmm. of this, like the choices oh. that he's making. And wow. I mean, the end note claims that it's not that, it, but, but. Well, this is that's uh, funny because a, I, I, this is a form of speaking that I feel like I've encountered outside of this book, too, uh-huh. that that I've, mm. I've seen in other literature or right. in other places. I also mentioned that um, this isn't Joel speaking. That That's true, but it, it's... No, but it's, it's, it's like Joel sto- narrating. Joel's story, kind of, whether she's narrating it or somebody is... I thought that was somebody, her recounting somebody else's yeah, story. Yeah, right, right, right. Right, yeah, but it's, it like, it's like yeah. close narration from her perspective. But but yes, so like the I okay, think we can say de- demonstrably that that character is actually saying, saying it. a whole bunch. I, yeah, I wondered if cool. I wondered if it is really true. I wondered if that end note was true, and I didn't know how to find out. Like you say, you mm. think you've come across that uh, style of yeah, I w- that I narrative style before, to... but but I wondered if it was actually true, or whether in her head she's adding it when she's listening. I don't know. Yeah, mm. it's like getting strapped that, to a Raytheon missile, and you don't stop till that missile stops, Jim. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty good. Um, the story of the guy who's who's telling his story at CA. I thought it was interesting how. So you know, the story goes on and on, and then he ends with the thing about he goes back to the. It must be his first full day in the rehab place where he is. Where he said he goes back and for supper that night they have uh, food bank peanut butter and kind of bad white bread and really mm-hmm. horrible instant coffee and everyone is complaining about it. But for him, it's like it said that became his higher power. That fact that those were the things left in his apartment, right? Or those had been the last things left in his apartment where his family was starving because of mm-hmm. his choices and now mm-hmm. his first dinner at his rehab place is that very stuff like the the fact of that coincidence or fate or whatever the fact that that would happen 
became his higher power. Because I always wonder Mm -hmm. about, you know, they say it doesn't, higher power is not necessarily God, a God figure. Mm -hmm. Your higher power can be anything. So I thought that was intriguing that the food bank peanut butter and white bread and bad instant coffee, the fact that it appeared at a key moment has become his higher power. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. really like, I mean, it, again, the story is very sad, but it also it is, is um, I agree with the narration that I like the way he tells it, and I like the meaning that he ascribes to things. And It also yeah. is an unusually hopeful story. Mm-hmm. Like, he is having conversation with his daughter, probably on the phone, right? And the, And there's some thought that maybe down the line there'll be some kind of reconciliation with his family if he can get through this all. It it seemed mm-hmm. much more optimistic than most of the stories mm-hmm. do. Bad news, friends. There is no what character in Infinite Jest are you personality quiz. Oh my gosh. Travesty. Yeah. Although Somebody I Somebody needs those. to do something. Why don't what Brianna could do it. She's probably had to <laughs> administer these personality things with groups of people, right? Haven't you had to do that? Can't you come up with one for the characters? I hate the personality tests, I have to say, that (laughs) employers do. I always Mm -hmm. end up in in the strange group. (laughs) (laughs) You don't think that's where you belong? Um, No, I do think I belong there, but it's such a public (laughs) outing of that in a way. Mm. You know, so you have like... Out of 100 people, you have 50 in this group, and you have 30 in this group, and you have 17 in this group, and you have three in the Mm -hmm. fourth group. And there I am. (laughs) I I did find the personality database has a page on Infinite Jest, so you can... You can vote up or vote down uh, what you think characters Meyer Briggs personality type is. Oh. Mm. Um, so there are a couple of characters that are on here, um, but not a whole lot. Huh. Say I if you're interested in hearing about any of them. I. 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 Okay. <laughs> We've got Hal as an INTP. I don't know if I agree with that, but okay. What is that? It's introverted, intuitive thinking and perceiving. Mm. It's you get your energy from being on your own or uh-huh. in small groups. You get your information from like gut feelings. You're more analytical with processing. And P is always difficult for me to explain. it. <laughs> Because it's difficult for me to understand because it's not the one that I am. You're more like easygoing, maybe a little more disorganized, maybe a little more spontaneous hmm. than somebody who has a J at the end. Hmm. Yeah. I, like I, Avril is ostensibly an ESFJ, which is hmm. the exact opposite of Hal. Yeah, it's hard to think that Hal gets information by, like his feelings because he's so out of tune with feelings but maybe that's feelings about himself i don't know hmm it's also got mario as an esfp and pemulus as an entp Hmm. oh no that was orin is an esfp and mario an isfp i don't know what i don't know what any of it means because i'm not (laughs) up on my briggs myers (laughs) i'm sorry did i derail us 
No, uh, we're just no, pondering. I, we're pondering. Yeah, I feel like I don't have a lot else to say about the story in the group. Does anyone else have stuff to talk about here? No. I don't think so. Not really. Except that it's sweet that Joelle is looking out for Don Gately. The only reason she ended yes. up at this... She doesn't normally go to this meeting, but it's at the hospital where she apparently was tending to Don. And mm-hmm. we assume that this means that they did have to call 911 the night of the mm-hmm. parking disaster because he was in really Presumably. bad shape. Yeah. Or the next day, at least, if they didn't that night, yeah. that he was in trouble. And so I assume she called, but I guess it could have been mm-hmm. anyone. Although she seems like the most responsible. <laughs> right. Probably, yes. <laughs> Although I suppose the who's the head of the... Pat Montesian? Pat Montesian might have. Too. Could have called, yeah. 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 We still don't really know what happened then at the no, end of that. No, we don't. We don't and know what happened never... to the Canadians. Oh, speaking of Canada, there was another little note I made somewhere that it mentions that Blood Sister that himself oh, yeah, tried that it was to shoot shot the film. in Canada. No, he tried to shoot it or in tried Canada. to. He tried to shoot And made shoot no it in friends Canada. on either side of the concavity yeah. doing that. Hmm. He has such a strong connection to Canada. James he does. O. So after the meeting, we're back in the more trudging through Blood Sister. I don't have anything. Right. I feel like we've talked about this as much they as do we have want the, to. The convent's motto, contraria sunt complementa. We are what we revile. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It makes another point of mentioning that the TP cases are all clearly labeled. Yeah. Yeah, it's the second time it's, they've said that. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not quite sure what to make of that. And there's another... He's not going to die. Yeah, that they well, shouldn't Unless die. it's setting us up for some kind of ironic, like, oh, all the cases are labeled, but there's an unlabeled cartridge in one of them that turned, you know? Well, and the kids, remember the kids found that box of cassettes down in the oh, tunnel, true. right? That it was, yeah. that mm-hmm. things, things were falling out of. Was Apostlewaite says that Idris wanted to talk to Hal about something they found in the tunnels. Right. I don't know if they want to talk to him about the disgusting fridge or if there's something else that right. they found. Right, right. It's unclear. Maybe Pemulus was messing with the kids down in the tunnels. <laughs> he did something yeah. funny that they think is funny. Maybe he was messing with them it, down it there. It could be. I, I could see that There's happening. There's also a mention of the, the Gigabucks ticket. So that's in the section with Kate and Ruth uh, after Kate's gotten her head injury. Oh, okay. Oh, so we aren't there yet. Okay. Well, we could, yeah. we could when, go there. I think when we're did, ready to. When did we start talking about Gigabytes? I wondered that too. G- when did gigabytes? It gigabytes oh. of mem Giga. Oh, like when, when did that we became start? probably yeah. the late nineties, mid to oh, late nineties. Okay. okay. I think mm-hmm. that our second computer Giga had bucks. a gigabyte hard drive. Our first computer had a hunt like a hundred megabyte hard drive or right. forty megabyte or something. Like that. <laughs> or five. <laughs> five. <laughs> it was more than five, but yeah. It was not yeah. much. We thought it was big stuff. Um, yeah. So I just that wondered where the micro Giga... SD card that you that you mailed me the other well, yeah. last week has uh, 64 gigabytes on it, <laughs> which yeah. works out to yeah 640 of our first computer. Roughly. And that's a, oh, that wow. little card is about the size of a woman's like a... pinky fingernail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tiny. And before we move on, I just have two things that are neither here nor there about Blood Sister. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, one, I thought that Infinite Jest was um, James O's one commercial film, but it sounds like um, Blood Sister was also well, one. Well, I mean, it also says like, um, uh, what's the Western called? 
the uh, Night Wears a Sombrero. Night, Night Wears a Sombrero, he describes as being a commercial film, and uh, Low Temperature Civics also as being one of those few films that were commercially successful, although maybe they didn't have any right to be. Yeah. I don't think that any of the Infinite Jest movies were ever released, were they? They weren't, no. It was basically like James O was trying to be commercial with Infinite, or my understanding was that James O was trying to be commercial with Infinite Jest, that he could never quite get it correct, and so he never released them. Hmm. But, yeah, I don't know. I'd have to go back and, yeah. and read through the filmography again, I think. I Yeah. When I was looking at The Night Wears a Sombrero again, I looked up mm-hmm. the Rancho Notorious that it's apparently a parody of. Mm-hmm. And I think we might all have to watch it. Looks like a real oh, wild yeah. western. Yeah. Came out in 1952. It had uh, Marlena Dietrich in it. Oh. She was the character that was doling out retribution. Where anything goes for a price. Yeah, I watched trailers mm-hmm. of it. Oh, Ooh, Fritz <laughs> yeah. Lang. Yeah, I think you might like it. What? This was a yeah. f- I didn't know Fritz Lang was making movies that long into the sound era. Yeah. He did silent movies? He did Metropolis. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Like, yeah. Did he do The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and he was a uh, German I don't expressionist. Think he did, yeah, I don't think he did uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, but yeah, uh, let's see. Well, the, yeah, the Rancho Notorious yeah, looks really M. complicated. M. Yeah. Lots of revenge seeking. Mm-hmm. By cowboys. Oh well, yeah, he yeah, was he working didn't do the steadily Dr. from. Caligari. Yeah, you're right. From like 1919 through the uh, like 1960 is his last yeah. movie, Journey to the Lost City. Mm-hmm. Man, I had no idea. Well, you'll want to check out Rancho Notorious. <laughs> mm-hmm. At least watch the trailer. It'll make you want to mm. watch it. I think I might yeah. have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, anything else about Blood Sister before we move on? Yeah, last thing, uh, it sounded like Sister Act to me. Yes, it's like Sister Act with violence. <laughs> right, yeah. But yeah, very much so. Uh, do you know that originally Sister Act was going to be a drama? Really? The screenwriter like spent six months in a convent observing how life worked in the convent. And oh, Bette Midler, was it was going to star. And, oh, wow. Uh, and then it was just like massively retooled by the studio and became a Whoopi Goldberg yeah. comedy. Wow. That's a turnaround. It mm-hmm. sure is. So then we're back with Kate and Ruth. They've just had their purses stolen by poor Tony. Ruth is chasing poor Tony. Kate maybe has a concussion because she was smacked into a lamppost. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was a really vivid, I, I I really felt for her because of her description yeah. of like, it was like when she was a little kid and you'd play Crack the Whip and you were on the end. She was talking about mm-hmm. Crack the Whip on mm-hmm. uh, at the roller rink, Yeah, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. and the goodness, the force with which she would, she would have hit that pole is, would have yeah. been really extreme. I mean, it, keeps- it sounds terrible. We've talked before about how, like, the use of descriptive Uh color language in Infinite Jest. And, yeah, she keeps describing how the whole scene seems to be tinged in violet. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. Comes up a few times. Also, I want to point out that uh, poor Tony is described a couple times, I think, as the apparition. Yes, in red. The apparition. I don't know that I have anything much, much to say about this except that I'm worried about Kate. I'm worried about Kate. And who's the guy? Who's the old guy? <laughs> he's he's the old a witness. Bum. 
He's a witness. I'm a witness. He's seen it. I'm He's seen the whole thing. I've seen it. I've seen it. I'm a witness. Is he somebody? Is he just a no, guy? No, I think he's. I think he's just there. He's just the witness. Yeah. <laughs> what does he say? Witness. Eyewitness. The whole thing. Seen it. I'm him. It's also so city life ish that people are just going on down the street, like walking, trying like not to trying to ignore them around. And poor Kate Gompert is like in a bad way. She needs help. Yeah, she needs mm-hmm. an ambulance. I think mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think she can, she's not going to be able to walk home. And heaven only knows about Ruth Van Cleve. Heaven only knows what's going to become of her. There's just a lot of trouble that Mm Ennis is having to manage right now. I did think about that, too. Like, oh, no, one more thing. For Ennett House yeah. to have to manage, like big thing. I mean, I compared to the other things, it's not. As, I think it probably stuff like this probably happens all the time. Yeah. But poor her, mm-hmm. poor Kate. I like Kate Gompert. I feel yeah. for her. And now she's got a concussion. She probably ha- might have a skull fracture. Mm-hmm. And she lost her purse. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe not. Maybe Ruth. Oh, will I don't think Ruth is getting that wrangle. Well, strangle I don't, poor I don't Tony. Think. Although poor Tony is definitely, uh, he can't have much in the way of uh, uh, endurance. Stamina? Right. Mm-hmm. right. Like yeah, how stamina. far can he run? And is he wearing, <laughs> does he wear heels? I wondered about that. Oh, that's a good question too. Because that would slow yeah. him down. You would think. And I bet Ruth, Ruth, I mean, she was obviously uh, fairly zippy. Judging by how annoying she was, like like I pictured her as the peppy puppy bouncing along beside Kate as they're mm-hmm. walking back, and so she she maybe mm-hmm. has some speed to burn. I don't know. Maybe she'll catch well, him. And yeah, if so, it's not see. gonna. If if so, then we may have another casualty because she might beat the crap out of poor Tony. Well, and he's also yeah. just like you know he's, he's walking a, a knife's edge right now. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. a mess. He seems to me like he would be a really easy target. If she catches him, he's gonna, it's gonna be sad. <laughs> yeah. I hope that Hal is okay until we meet him again. Yeah. I'm worried yeah. about him, about Hal. Wouldn't it be so frustrating <laughs> if they just killed Hal while we weren't watching? <laughs> like if we just came back to ETA and they were having a funeral for a Hal? Funeral. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm at the point in the book where I'm concerned about the many loose ends that are out there and concerned that most of them won't be tied up. At the end yeah, of this I'm book. concerned about that too. Yeah. I'm trying to not be concerned about it. You know, I'm trying yeah. to like, remember. I think I, I'm. I'm trying to remind myself that tying up loose ends isn't really the project of this book. It's more like creating loose ends yeah. is the project of the book. <laughs> mm. Like unraveling, unraveling the edge of the rug. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Which I think uh, is a worthy project. Maybe. <laughs> I just have people that I'm concerned about, but mm. you know. yeah. yeah, yeah, and I have a feeling that we're never going to get to the um, Whataburger tournament, right? Which, at the very least, mm. I'd like to be able to get there to right. You know, it's like, it's like Zeno's paradox, the- where you know Zeno's paradox, where you're going a certain speed and you get halfway there, and then your speed reduces by half, and you get halfway past the halfway point, and your speed <gasps> reduces by half again. Like it just seems like it's so, it's just right there, but we might never make it. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like we're so close to figuring out right. what's going to happen to Hal and right. what's going on with the DMZ and all of that. Right. And I'm worried that we're never going to find out. Right. And it's are possible. Marat and Steeply ever going to come off that? Are we ever going to find out what happens with Marat? Uh, mm-hmm. who we've only yeah. who's been up on that ledge every time we encounter him in the book and so mm, many yeah. characters to wonder about. <laughs> if you'd like to get in touch with us for any reason, uh, you can email us at smallcleverpod at gmail.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at smallcleverpod. We still want to see your infinite pets. Yes, right. yes. Show us infinite your infinite pets. pets. Pets oh. or, or just animals in general with infinite jest in the picture. That's what we want. Yeah. 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 Like if you are able to go to a zoo safely and like get a giraffe with infinite right. jest, that would be right. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Squirrels and pigeons Squirrels, with infinite pigeons. jest. Yeah. Uh, anything like that. We should hmm. make a wish list. <laughs> oh, we should. Also, if you're so inclined and you know how to use the BuzzFeed quiz generator, you should make a which infinite jest character are you BuzzFeed quiz. Or I right. could. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. But that sounds like work. <laughs> that sounds, sounds like, like a lot of writing. Of, it does. Mm-hmm. It does. But it would be entertaining nonetheless. Except I'd be kind of afraid to find out which one I am, quite honestly. Mm. Right. Yeah, you the know, problem I'm is always everybody worried. wants to be Mario. I'm always worried that mm. I might be Avril. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my hand wringing over over the, the issues this raises about parenthood. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And the way I look at her with scorn, it always makes me worry that that's because I'm her. So, <laughs> Vinny, that's the trick. I could just make all of the results Mario. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My website is agingrick.com, and I'm on Instagram at coffeestopfix. I don't have anything except that it's my cat's birthday, and I would like to recommend to everyone that listens to celebrate your pet's birthdays. Uh, you know, celebrate extravagantly, <laughs> because we don't have that much to celebrate, really, usually, mm-hmm. especially during Fair the enough. pandemic, yeah. and, you know, yeah. go for it. Go all out. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hang some banners. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, if you like Instagram and you like paintings, you can find me and my paintings on Instagram at CardboardVV. And my website is still BriannaKratz.com. You can read things there. And you should. Next time, we'll be talking about pages 716 to 729. Our music is by David Nichols. You can check out his newsletter, The Land of Random, on Substack. Thanks for listening. And remember, we are what we scurry around as fast as possible with our eyes averted. For a birthday dinner at our house, we're having cheesy grits Yum. because Atley likes cheesy grits. Atley <laughs> should count himself lucky. Parachute, if she eats a single atom of cheese, will immediately go into the other room and puke. He likes oh, yogurt. No. He likes cheesy grits. His birthday cake will be a little zhip of in-the-can whipped cream. That's the very best. <laughs> <laughs>